So most Christians, I think when it comes to our adversary, most Christians border on the edge of two extremes. We either border on this extreme, which there's a devil behind every bush. You know, evil is everywhere. I understand we live in a fallen world, but overly focused on evil. And so there's a devil behind every bush. Or we, we go to this extreme, which we pay no attention or give no credence to the presence of evil in this fallen world and how it influences our lives. Satan is real, and he presents a clear and present danger to our lives. Now, there are some very common misconceptions among believers concerning what our adversary can and can't do. I just want to hit five of these right, right quick here at the beginning. But um, number one, Satan is not a personal being, but only a force of evil. That is false. Satan isn't a force. He is a real spiritual being. Number two, here's the second misconception. Satan is equal to God. That's false. Satan is not equal to God. He's not even the equal opposite of God. Uh, that would create a form of dualism. Uh, Satan is a created being. He is not self-existent. God created Satan. Satan rebelled against God. Number three, here's the third misconception. Satan resides in hell. False. Not yet. Not yet. Satan does not reside in hell. He won't be banished there until after the judgment. So currently, where is Satan? Well, he roams to and fro throughout the earth. How we wish he would be banished, but the fact is that he is among us. Number four, here's the fourth misconception. Satan can do whatever he pleases. That is false. Satan has limited authority, and his authority is always subject to God's authority. Number five, the fifth misconception. Satan is omnipresent. He can be everywhere. That's false. Uh, Satan, again, is a created being. He is limited to his body, to the, the body that God gave him. Likewise, demons are also limited to their created bodies. Number six, Satan received a ransom from Jesus when Jesus died on the cross. That is false. Jesus didn't have to pay the devil anything. That is often a belief, believe it or not, found in most Christian cults. But as far as it goes with uh, everyday evangelical Protestant churches, that is a false theology. Uh, Jesus didn't have to pay the devil anything. So Jesus is the payment of our sins. So while we have a real spiritual enemy who seeks to destroy us, we serve a Savior who has defeated our enemy. Colossians 2.15, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphant over them in it. So Jesus has triumphed over Satan through the cross. He's disarmed Satan, but we must remain vigilant. We must be self-controlled in order to walk in that victory that Jesus has provided for us. Our understanding of Satan must be taken from the Scripture. There are so many people that will draw conclusions about Satan from religious writings or opinions or traditions. Church, we have to go back to what the Word of God says about our adversary. And here's why we need to. You say, well, why focus on the adversary? Because he creates a clear and present danger. He is seeking whom he may devour. You can say, well, that's the unbelievers. No, he already has them. We are his target. So we better get back to what the Word says about our adversary. Number one is found in John 8, 44. Satan is a murderer, and he is the father of lies. And Jesus says this about Satan. You are of your father, the devil. 
and your will is to do your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Satan is the source of lies, and there is no truth within him. That's why knowing the truth is so important to us. So important as we, we walk in the victory that Jesus has given us. If we want to grow spiritually, we have to walk in the truth. We have to know the truth. In this age of uh, social media and its influence, the father of lies has a perfect place within our culture. Satan is also called the murderer. Death has been his goal from the beginning. It has not changed. And we see that influence in the murder the murders in our community, which are on the rise around our nation. Satan has been defeated and knows his time is limited. But rather than give up and wait for his consignment, he is so evil and it promotes him or motivates him to seek and destroy all human life. I look at Satan as this, in these terms. It's kind of like uh, someone who goes on a suicide mission. Someone who, who wants to go into a public place and kill innocent life. They don't care. Uh, they're going to die, they're gonna, and they're going to go down the way they want to go down, but they want to take everyone out with them. And that's exactly who our enemy is. He has no respect for life. He is a murderer and a liar from the beginning. Number two, Satan is a master of manipulation, 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen, And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Satan really avoids revealing his true identity, and his true motivations. And in the Garden of Eden, we see Satan even disguises himself as the serpent. And he uses that disguise to manipulate Eve into believing a lie. In popular culture, we think of uh, Satan being a red uh, horned figure with a pointed tail, right, in the pitchfork. Uh, obviously, that isn't accurate. Satan is a fallen angel. He appears as light, but if you would be able to look at him or see him or visualize him, he is full of darkness. He has the appearance of light. Beyond that, that, that appearance is darkness. So many people in our world embrace or allow the existence of evil or even the appearance of evil in their lives. And in doing so, we open the door for darkness because we tolerate the appearance of evil and its influences on our lives more than we'd like to admit. Number three, Satan is a master of deception, Revelation 12, 9. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to earth and his angels were thrown down with him. So Satan has been deceiving since the beginning. And really that deception didn't start here on earth. That deception started in the heavenly realms. I mean, he's able to persuade, now hear me, he's able to persuade one-third of the angels away from God. He's, he's cunning enough, crafty enough, deceptive enough that he can tell a third of the angels a lie and they believe it and they follow him in a rebellion. Now that is pretty powerful. And so when we sit here and we think, well, I, I can't be deceived. Put yourself in heaven with the angels and a third being deceived. If Satan could use that ability to deceive a third of the angels in heaven, why are we above the possibility of deception? 
See, like Adam and Eve, Satan often uses deception to justify what we think, what we feel, and what we want. And even if it violates God's word, he deceives us enough, twists the word of God just enough so that it feels right. Number four, Satan is called the God of this world. I referenced this earlier, little g, not big G. 2 Corinthians 4, 4, in their case, the God of this world has blinded minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is in the image of God. Now, does Satan have the power to control weather and cause natural disasters? The answer is no. Could uh, he, for instance, could he deceive or manipulate a group of men to hijack some planes, fly them into the World Trade Center, fly them into the Pentagon, all for the glory of God? Yeah, absolutely he can. See, he is the God of this world. He is the God of this culture. He is the God of, of what we would say the operation of man here on earth. So Satan is God over the culture of this world, and he blinds those who are in darkness. The Bible consistently warns us, church. Here's a consistent warning you'll find throughout the New Testament. And really, if you learn this in the New Testament, you can see it all throughout the Old Testament. A very consistent warning between the people of God and the world. And James 4.4 4 says this, Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. First uh, John 2.15, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of God is not in him. Satan influences the culture of this fallen world. We have to guard ourselves or our desire to uh, embrace this world will increase. We have to guard ourselves because the world can be so attractive. This world is completely, completely corrupted by sin. One day it's going to be destroyed. There will be a new heaven and a new earth. And why is that? Because this world is under the dominion of a fallen angel. And we have to remember that he has great power and influence over the culture of this world. Number five, Satan is, is opportunistic. Ephesians 4.27, and give no opportunity to the devil. Again, writing this to Christians. Satan has limitations when it comes to born-again believers. Satan cannot steal, kill, or destroy without an opportunity. And we provide that opportunity through our disobedience to God and his word. Now, our commitment to God and his word eliminates the opportunities which Satan seeks. Again, there are times where we find the scripture, like as in the case of Job. Job is righteous, and God allows it. But let's face it, those cases are very, very rare. And we don't see that as a consistent theme throughout scripture. Most of the time, we come under this attack or assault, usually because there's an opportunity we've given. Not always, I understand that. But usually we've given opportunity. Just a word of wisdom. If you give Satan an inch, he'll take a foot. And once he's got a foot, he'll take a yard, and he'll continue to take, and he'll continue to exploit the situation because he is a murderer. He is a devourer. Number six, Satan seeks to separate us from Christ. Uh, Luke twenty-two thirty-one, And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. Now Satan wants to do exactly that in our lives. He wants to sift us like wheat. Like in that threshing process of separating the wheat from the shaft. That's exactly what 
Satan wants it. He wants to separate us from our relationship with Christ. Now, Satan cannot separate us, but he will exploit every opportunity we give him. Nothing can separate us from God except ourselves. Except ourselves. So we eliminate those opportunities, then Satan can't sift us. If you don't believe that Satan has that access to our lives, I would just ask you to do this. Or maybe even look back at your own life. If you know people who have served God, they have backslid. Then you have an example of people who are being sifted. I can think of a number of people right now that I knew served God at one time. They've fallen away from God, and they have all kinds of just junk in their lives. Just fallen right back into sin, and Satan has just sifted them. Number seven, our adversary is not flesh and blood. And we have to be reminded of this constantly. Our adversary is not flesh and blood. Ephesians 6, 12, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Now, there are times where it may seem like we are battling against flesh and blood. The enemy has skin. But we have to remind ourselves that isn't our battle. And in fact, if we get on that battleground, we will lose. Satan wants us to wrestle, wrestle against flesh and blood. He, that's what he desires. He wants us to wrestle with flesh and blood. Why? Because if we wrestle with flesh and blood, we are setting ourselves up for defeat. If we try to battle spiritually with fleshly weapons, we will lose. If we try to fight a spiritual battle against flesh and blood, we will lose. When we wrestle with flesh and blood, what do we do? We get angry, we develop unforgiveness, and we become hostile. Satan takes all that hurt and disappointment, and what does he do? He uses that as a weapon against us. Unforgiveness is one of the best tactics Satan will use against God's people. Remember this, unless we forgive, we cannot be forgiven. And if he can get us into unforgiveness, that will make us resistant to God's grace. And it's one of those deceiving powers, one of those best traps that Satan will lay is unforgiveness. Church, we have to be aware, vigilant, self-controlled when it comes to these matters. Number eight, Satan is an accuser. Revelation 12, 9 through 10 so the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ has come. For the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. Satan is an accuser. Satan will tempt us to sin, and once we sin, he'll do this. He'll turn that around on us, and he will begin to accuse us. He will accuse you when you are guilty of your sin, and he will accuse you when you're not guilty of sin. He is an accuser. He brings accusations. Satan will do this then. If we, we fall short of God's glory, he will ask for an opportunity. He will accuse us before the Father. He will ask for permission to sift us. Remember, Satan is a liar. There is no truth within him. Satan will take unhealthy shame, for example, and use it to condemn us, heaping condemnation on us. Why is that? For a feeling of despair. 
He is an accuser. And if you've ever found your place, yourself in that place, it's very, it's very heavy, it's very troubling. If you failed or you aren't where you ought to be in your walk with Jesus, Satan will use that tactic of accusation against you as your adversary. Number nine, Satan can afflict us. I'll give you an example in Luke 13, 16. And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, who Satan bound for 18 years, be loose from this bond on the Sabbath day? It was a sickness that was, I believe sickness is, all sickness is indirectly, hear that word, indirectly from Satan. I say indirectly for this reason. Um, if Satan doesn't rebel, if he doesn't introduce sin to mankind, there will be no sickness, there will be no disease, there would be no death. They are consequences of sin. Sin begins with Satan. So indirectly. Directly, is Satan uh, responsible for all sickness? Absolutely not. I'll give you an example. Um, if we steward this body poorly, if we dine on cheeseburgers and ice cream all the time, and we develop heart disease, that is not an attack from Satan. It's called being a poor steward of your life. Don't, you know, sometimes we blame the devil for things that he has nothing to do with. We just fail, you know, with cheeseburgers, donuts, and we don't diet well, and we don't exercise well. Well, that's called being stupid, right? So the woman who had the issue with blood, she was bound by, it says in Luke, a spirit of infirmity. So obviously we see that it was a spiritual context to, to her sickness. But when she comes into the, the healing power of Jesus, she is made whole. Satan uses sickness as a weapon to weaken our faith and cause us to doubt God's love. Sometimes we have to endure sickness for a reason uh, beyond our imagination. Sometimes God ordains that we go through a sickness. We see that throughout Scripture. Sometimes we endure a sickness for the glory of God, but sometimes those sicknesses are, are, are an attack against us. So this is why we must know the truth, cling to the truth, and, or otherwise we'll fall prey to lies. Number 10, Satan can hinder us. 1 Thessalonians 2.18, because, again, this is Paul on one of his missionary journeys, speaking to the church. Because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. Now, when we repent of our sins, we experience new birth, and we start following Jesus, we get on that narrow path leading to life. Satan can't take you off that path, but church, he can hinder you. And, and if you're going to live a godly life, then you should expect some, and to encounter some type of hindrance, some type of force, something that will try to get you off the path. He will use every lie, every heartache, every deception, every pain. He will attack the diligence of our faith. When we decide to serve Jesus, follow him, his plans and purposes for our lives, we should expect opposition. Unfortunately, our flesh doesn't like opposition. And when we face opposition, we're on that narrow path, we try to compromise. That's a very delicate place to be. It's a very difficult place to be, but it opens the door for complacency. The narrow path leading to life is difficult, and it shouldn't be any surprise when we encounter opposition on that path. Satan will oppose you in your job. He'll oppose you in your family. He'll oppose your health, your relationships. You name the situation and he will bring opposition. And he's evil, and his desire is to steal, to kill, and destroy. Jesus said this in John 10, 10, the thief does not come except to steal, to kill, and to destroy, but I have come that they may have life, and that they may have it more abundantly. So Jesus has come to give us life, 
so that we can live and live an abundant life. And if, if Jesus is for you, then who can be against you? You have a real spiritual enemy who opposes you. But we have a Savior, church, King of kings, Lord of lords, and his desire is for us to have life and life abundantly. So it's up to us to walk in that abundant life. Jesus died to give us life, but we have to pursue that with diligent faith. It's up to us to know the truth, to discern lies, and to walk by faith. Satan is defeated. Jesus defeated him through the cross. And we have victory, but walk in that victory by faith. So how do we remain self-controlled? How do we remain vigilant in terms of the adversary? How do we face our adversary with self-control, with vigilance? We see this in James chapter 4, verse 7. This is really good. Um, this is a great truth for us to really grasp in our lives. Verse 7, therefore, submit to God. Submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Continues on, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your minds, or your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Drop down to verse 10, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. If we want to stand firm in faith and see victory in our lives, we must submit ourselves to God first. I know it's a word that we, we may not like to hear sometimes, but submission to God is so important. We can't resist the devil. He won't flee, with, flee from us if we aren't submitted to God. And I would argue that in most situations, this is where born-again believers fail to see victory due to our unwillingness to submit to God and his word. God says one thing, we do our own thing, then we want God to bless our choices, but that's not the way it works. Satan cannot take our salvation away from us, but if we fail to submit our lives to God, we give Satan opportunity. And that opportunity is to sift us, to hinder us, to afflict us. So many weapons he can use against us if we refuse to submit. And remember, he will exploit every opportunity you give him relentlessly. If he gains a foothold in our lives, when we fail to submit ourselves to God. So that word submit, what does it mean? To arrange under, uh, to, to be subordinate, to subject, to put in subjection, to subject oneself, to obey, uh, to submit to one's control, to yield to one's advocacy an admonition or advice to obey to be subject so we must submit ourselves to christ and him as lord jesus is our savior thank god for that amen thank god we can have our sins forgiven save us from our sins past present future i get that but he cannot save us from those sins we are unwilling to submit ourselves to god I'll give you an example the woman caught in the act of adultery is a great picture of this Jesus doesn't condemn her. He offers her grace, but what does he do? He admonishes her to go and sin no more. Now, if she turns from that grace that he's extended her and she goes back into adultery, she is refusing to submit herself to God and his word. And she's going to open herself up to a lot of different things. And that her unwillingness to submit to God would give the adversary a foothold in her life. Philippians 2.10 says that that at, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and those on earth and those under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of, the God, of God our, the Father. 
So Jesus is Lord, and if we want the benefits of a Savior, we must submit to him as Lord. When we submit to establish Christ as our Lord in our lives, the battle, church, the battle belongs to God. It really does. So many times we suffer defeat in our lives, not because God fails or because Satan is so powerful. Often it's because we're unwilling to submit ourselves to Christ as Lord. Give me an example. If you're tempted by sexual sin, pornography, adultery, fornication, you know, any sex outside of marriage, homosexuality, you, all sexual activity outside the, the, the marriage that we see defined in God's word, if you're entertaining temptation, you're going to fail. If, you're, if you aren't submitting to God before and while you're tempted, a fall is inevitable. If you're in a compromising position, Satan will exploit that opportunity you're giving him. If you place yourself in an environment or, or you're in circumstances of compromise, it's going to be difficult, if not impossible, to resist the devil when the opportunity of sin presents itself. Satan will lie to you and tell your flesh whatever it wants to hear. It's okay, you can sleep with that person. Uh, God will forgive you. God understands you're lonely. He understands what you're going through. And then we listen to those lies, we entertain those lies, bend the truth, and rebel against God. Failure to submit to God. Satan then comes back after we commit that sin, and what does he do? Condemn. Condemnation. Accusation. Ask to sift us. The door is open, and he is relentless in his effort to destroy us. Romans 6, 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live in it any longer? Or do you know that? Excuse me. Or do you not know that many, uh, as many as us, as were baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into His death? Therefore, we were buried with Him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. You know, grace isn't given to us to remain in sin. Grace and the transforming power of the Holy Spirit is given to us to, re, to walk apart from sin. God gives us grace to avoid sin, to flee from sin, to run to Him, and to submit ourselves to God. Not to run into sin and indulge ourselves into sin and still be saved. If we want grace, if we want freedom, if we want victory, run to Jesus. Run to Him, get as close as you can, get away from this world, separate yourselves unto God, submit to His Word. So church, let's not stand here presenting to resist the devil, thinking we're going to overcome evil without first submitting to God. There's a reason why when James starts that off, submit yourselves to God first. Draw closer to God. Get, get rid of stuff. I, I, if this seems old-fashioned, I'm sorry, but, but there's, a, there's a message of holiness we're really missing in our culture, in our church culture. Draw closer to God. Get rid of the stuff if you need to. Get rid of certain people, habits, whatever hinders you on that narrow path. Why make it more difficult than it has to be? Draw closer to God. Start off this morning. Start around the altar. Come to Jesus. Repent. Submit to God. If you want to experience the victory Jesus has won, submit yourself to God. Then you must resist the devil, and he will flee. Why will he flee? Because you've given him no opportunity. Some of you are in a battle. You're facing different battles in here facing maybe a battle or an adversary in your marriage, maybe in your family, at work, friendship, 
in your mind, in your emotions. You're, you're fighting a battle Jesus has already won. I want to encourage you, first and foremost, submit yourselves to God. Submit yourselves to God. Draw closer to God through his word. Draw closer to God through worship. Dr turn off the TV. Get away from social media. Get some time into his presence. See, there, there's often, it gets complicated, we get so convenient, we get so compromised, we feel so at home in the world that we, just, we don't see the power of the world that it has upon us. How it disrupts that, that intimacy that God wants with us. Go to battle in prayer. Seek God's face. Ask the Holy Spirit to examine your heart. Repent. Turn away from anything that's polluting you. Stand on God's word. Stand on God's word by faith. Allow others to come beside you. Pray for you. Stand with you. Church, it is not easy to submit ourselves to God. I know we like to, to think that it is, that it's, it's easier said than done. It is difficult, but it's something we have to do. It's, it's how we are self-controlled. It's how we're vigilant in our faith. 